Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information, or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Arise, O God, and rule the earth, for you shall take all nations for your own. Amen. A lawyer wants to test Jesus, and so he asks, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pulls the classic teacher move and says, well, what does the textbook say? What do you read in the law? And I hear the lawyer responding almost like Hermione Granger rattling off a memorized textbook saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have given the correct answer, Jesus says, which how rarely does that happen in Scripture? A disciple gives an answer and Jesus says, yes, that's correct, A+. (laughs) But the lawyer, it seems, can't just take the win because, as the text says, he wanted to justify himself. And so he asks, and who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells us this story. A man is traveling alone. We don't know why he is alone. He might have been fleeing violence. He might have been seeking a new opportunity. He might have simply been making his journey home to his family. And while he is on the road alone, he is beset by robbers who beat him, strip him, and leave him for dead. A priest walks by and does nothing. Perhaps the priest said to himself, well, why did he leave his home to begin with? Wasn't his home comfortable enough? A Levite walks by next, a man from the upper class. He does nothing. Perhaps the Levite said to himself, surely someone bleeding deserved the wound. You can't travel in this region without facing consequences. Or perhaps the priest and the Levite were both just busy. Perhaps they were just busy worrying about making it to their destinations on time. Perhaps they were just busy worrying what might happen if they interfered with someone so clearly in need of time and patience. And herein enters the Samaritan. And those who were hearing this story as Jesus told it would have tensed up Samaritans were considered to be their enemies. Samaritans were also descendants of Israel until a religious schism led to an ethno-cultural split that was drawn along the border between the north and the south. 
These were people whose history was shared over generations. But in Jesus' time, the Samaritans were considered to be traitorous, unclean degenerates. But in this story, it is the Samaritan who stops, who cleans this man's body, who brings him to an inn and pays for the finest treatment. So Jesus finishes the story and turns to the lawyer and asks, which of these three was a neighbor to the robbed man? To which the lawyer replies, the one who showed him mercy. It's almost like the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan because the Samaritan comes from those degenerates across the border, and yet it was this Samaritan, this religious ethnic minority who showed mercy to the robbed man. However, even this phrase, showed mercy, is a bit of an incomplete translation of the Greek. As my friend Brian Fox translates it, the phrase is better understood as the one who made mercy with him. The Samaritan makes mercy with the robbed man. Mercy is not just done to someone. Mercy is made. The Samaritan is literally getting off of his high horse and clambering into the gutter to tend to this man's wounds. But as much as the Samaritan is lowering himself, so too the wounded man is extending mercy in receiving his care. Mercy is not an individual act. We make mercy together. We need mercy from each other. There was a time recently when I needed mercy of a slightly different sort. In March of this year, I co-led a retreat at Camp Allen with our fourth and fifth graders and with my colleague, Louise Rivas. And I preached on this story, the story of the Good Samaritan. And I came to a point in my talk where I did one of those pithy family minister moves and I asked the room, so how often do you see someone dying on the side of the road? Not that often, right? This was meant to be a cheap trick a moment where all the kids would answer, never. But it turned out uh, to be exactly a lesson in why you should only ever ask open-ended questions while teaching, especially teaching on scripture, because the whole room was filled with nine and 10-year-olds shaking their heads and staring at me. One of the adults took mercy on me and said, remember, most of these kids are from Houston. They see a lot of homelessness. But I was also there with our kids from right here in Westlake. And they too were looking at me like they couldn't believe I would make such an ignorant comment. Of course they had seen people dying and hurting on the side of the road. Realizing that the rest of my talk was a bit of a moot point, I asked the room, so what do you do? What do you do when you see people hurting on the side of the road? And they answered. Some stop with their parents and roll down the window and offer money. One of the girls said her church puts together little toiletry kits that they hand out to folks. 
And then one boy raised his hand and asked, is Jesus saying we should always stop? Is Jesus saying that we should always stop and help and bring hurting people home with us and take care of them? I didn't know how to answer. Because if we really pay attention to this story, I believe the answer is yes. But I realized how rarely I had both literally and metaphorically taken someone home. I almost never stopped, truly stopped, to offer that aid. I thought our kids would have been protected from seeing the suffering of this world because they are children. But the stories pouring forth from detention centers make it very, very plain. Children are not protected from suffering by virtue of their age. Our kids reminded me in that moment how very like the priest and the Levite I was, so accustomed to my own busyness, my own reasons for saying no, that I hadn't noticed people bleeding in my own streets people our children certainly had noticed. I needed them to remind me. And there is mercy here too. For the Samaritan and the robbed man are not the only agents of making mercy in this tale. For after tending the robbed man's wounds, the Samaritan brings him to an inn, an inn where there is plenty of room and an innkeeper willing to take on the wounded man and provide him the care he needs for payment, yes. But without the innkeeper, the Samaritan would not have been able to finish his own journey. The good Samaritan does not stop his whole life forever to heal the robbed man, but he would have had to stop his whole life if it weren't for the innkeeper's willingness to help. We do not make mercy alone. Sometimes we are the Samaritan, the one with the willpower and the physical ability and the financial means to stop and tend to the wounds of our bleeding neighbors. And sometimes the Samaritan is knocking on our door, reminding us to pay attention, to go out of our way, to be uncomfortable and to make mercy together. Because all of us have to reckon with that question that little boy asked me, is Jesus saying we should always say yes to the stranger on the side of the road? Because if we don't reckon with this question, if we don't pry open our hearts and our minds and hold tenderly all of our shame and all of our reasons for no, if we don't reckon with this story, we will never live into God's promises. Our eternal life depends on it. And so too does the life of the one bleeding on the side of the road. Amen.